Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and websites, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. It's important to realize that even if you're a small business, you can still make an impact. And I think a good way to start that is that if every small business looked at who you banked with, where your super was held, and you certified as carbon neutral, I think that would go a really long way if everybody did that. And it's really not that hard. So I think that's that's a change, an easy change that people can make. Um, so I'm just passionate about trying to inspire others to do things like that, make those changes. And I think that running your business in the way that you want to run it and in a way that's aligned with your values will also make a big difference to your satisfaction in your career and as well as your client satisfaction. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. 
Hello, everyone. I'm very excited today to share an interview with Marnie Horson, who is a photographer that many of you will know for her work in a range of publications around Australia and the world, including Dwell, Green, Habitus, Australian House and Garden, The Design Files, Real Living Magazine, Inside Out, and more and more. But over the past couple of years, she has taken the steps to become a purpose-first B Corp certified photographer, basically finding a way to increase the impact of those making a difference. Her clients work towards sustainable development goals, which is broadly broken up into two categories, sustainable architecture and any other project that directly aligns to the SDGs. And we talk about why she made that choice, what it has involved, the process. So if you are interested in maybe becoming B Corp certified as a service-based business, she says that it is possible and she gives a bit of an insight into that process, as well as her passion for creating a off-grid home and conservation. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Hi, Mani. I am so excited to chat with you today. I love your work and what you do and your sort of mission, as it were, with your photography. But before we get into that, I'd like to kind of start at the beginning about I'm always interested to learn about people's journeys, their childhood, if they were creative at all, if you had any inkling in the past about the journey that you were going to go on that you're on now. So can you just share a little bit about where you grew up, whether you were creative as a child, and I guess that transition then to school and the interests that you had then as well. Well, hi, Natalie. It's lovely to be chatting with you today. It is my first podcast. So <laughs> I'll, we'll do my best. But I suppose growing, I grew up in Victoria on a small property, 11 acres um, of bush. Um, I was never creative, I don't think. I don't feel creative now. I still think of myself as a scientist, which is a bit strange in the industry I'm in. But, yeah, it was just, you know, a very outdoor childhood. Um, we weren't allowed to watch TV or I always remember just being able to watch TV you know, once a week with Disney channels and things like that. We were always pushed to go outside you know, play, make cubbies, all of that kind of stuff. Um, my mum was born on King Island and we used to go over there every Easter to visit my grandparents. So there was a lot of outdoors there as well, um, which I say now is probably why I'm vegetarian with all the things that I did over there with, you know, crayfishing and shark fishing and all these things like that. So very outdoors childhood. But I don't, I used to read a lot of books as a kid. Um, but I just, yeah, I don't ever really remember myself being super creative. Okay. Well, it's gonna be interesting to find out how that came about then. So you say you, um, are from a science background, was that your passion when you were in high school and then sort of going on to, to further study, I presume? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I remember it being more that I couldn't decide what to do at uni. So I decided to do a science degree that was, you know, a general degree and I could decide later. So, yeah, not not through school. I mean, I always did biology and sciences and 
maths and things like that. But um, yeah, maybe it was the love of outdoors and animals and zoology, and that led me into environmental science at Melbourne Uni. Um, and then I, I did a honours degree in zoology there as well. So I've got a degree in um, an honours degree in sexually transmitted diseases in birds. <laughs> and I've never, I've never really used that in my career. Funny that. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a published scientific okay. paper on that. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, I'm fascinated then. So how on earth did you end up becoming a photographer? Can you share that with us? Well, I worked as an environmental scientist for about 10 years in um, my, my first one out of uni. I remember doing something like 70 job applications to try and get a graduate job. And the consultancy I eventually got a job in was a contaminated land consultancy. And I'd never even studied geology. So, you know, I wasn't even using the knowledge I'd gained from uni. But I did that for a few years and then outgrew that. It was quite small, I kind of learned everything I could and went to a bigger consultancy doing environmental impact assessments on large infrastructure projects. Um, and I did that for it was maybe a total of, well, total of about 10 years all up. And then I just, it was a great team when I was there, but then the team kind of, you know, everybody started to leave, it fell apart a little, things changed. And so I was looking for something different and I went and worked for a really small consultancy where a few people worked from home. And we just moved out here to the Macedon Ranges, which is about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour outside Melbourne. Um, I think after doing that little consultancy for a year, I just started to think about what I could do to work for myself. And I'd never had that kind of influence before. I think, you know, we were never surrounded by family or friends that worked for themselves. It was always... I'd always just assumed there was only one path that you, you went to high school, then you went to uni, then you got a corporate job and then you stayed in that job until you retired. Um, so I don't really know where this urge to work for myself came from. Um, but yeah, I just, I suppose I took a, a year or so trying to think of different things to do, um, trying out a few little things. I'd never been a hobbyist as a photographer. Um, I did have a little vintage shop on Etsy after we got married out here. And I, that's about the only link where I had went to clearing sales and things and auctions and bought old things and put them online as a little side gig. And I took photos in what's a little um, post office on our street front, which was my office at the time. And people would kind of say, oh, you know, your photos are great. And it was just like on a white background with some very simple styling. And I had no idea what I was doing with a camera. I think I had it on, if I had it on auto or maybe I had it on manual, but with some particular settings I knew worked, but I didn't really understand them. Um, and I think it, I think it kind of came from there. And so, but that's kind of a brave thing in it of itself. I mean, you know, there are many people out there that still just use their their phone to take photos. So the fact that you sort of decided that you wanted to actually try and capture these products or these objects 
with a manual camera, um, even if it was on an automatic setting. I mean, that sort of shows, I guess, a, a curiosity and um, a a confidence as well, I guess, to sort of to try, you know, because I think people can get so fearful of of doing something that they haven't done before. But you obviously felt confident enough to to kind of give it a try with the sort of DLSR camera. Yeah, I, I can't even remember what camera it was. Maybe it was like a little camera that I had used for travel. Maybe one of those tiny little like Sony ones um, initially. And then I think after a while I thought um, photography could be, well, at first I thought I could never do it because there was too many people doing it and it was too hard to get into. Um, but I'm a very scientific person. So I saw a photo that inspired me one day and I don't know what it was. And I was like, you know what, I can do this. And so I just wrote a business plan, put my scientific mind to it. Like, how do you get clients when you don't have any clients? Um, how do you build a portfolio? I interviewed all my, or any friend that did anything to do with photography and just said, did you study yourself or, um, did you go, you know, did you go to uni? Did you teach yourself on YouTube? Um, what lenses I use, what cameras. And I just decided that I would teach myself because I'd already done so much study. I didn't want to go back and, you know, people said that they study things like risk assessments in photography. I don't want to, I don't want to go and repeat all of that stuff. I'll just fill in the gaps that I don't know, you know by YouTube online all of that kind of thing. So then I just approached it very, you know, methodologically sound way and the science scientist in me. And so um, how long ago was that approximately that you then started to sort of teach yourself I think, photography? I think that was 2013 when I had the first idea and then it probably took know a year or six months or so to then start getting clients um my first project was an honest trade i called it an honest trade and that was the time before the lost trades became a thing do you know them down in victoria uh, the, is in like oh old yeah, yeah yeah like the sort of old skills yeah there's a, is that there's what a, you mean there's a big yeah. um festival down here now with lost trades but it was a couple of years before that but it was a similar idea where mine was more like if it was um hard work or a manual trade that I would find 20 people um go take photos for free for them and pick the 20 best photos and then put them up on my website and that would become my portfolio so it was things like uh potato farmers truffle farmers coppersmiths, bookbinders, things like that. So that's how I made a portfolio when I didn't have any clients. Yeah. And so then then what? Like how did you then obviously like getting a portfolio is a really important thing and it sounds like you followed your interests in terms of the types of subjects that you wanted to capture. But then how did you go about finding clients. And I'm also curious when you sort of did your, your research, I guess, before you started taking photos and asking different people, you know, were there some light bulb moments other than the fact that you didn't want to study risk assessment at uni? Like did people sort of share any insightful tips with you in terms of, you know, getting into photography or 
how to approach this whole journey? I don't, I don't remember any amazing tips really. I've, I really did this in a pretty solo kind of way, which, which isn't how I would love to do it. You know, I never got to go out with another photographer and learn off them. I've never gone out with someone else who's shot something to see how they would do it, which I think would be so valuable in picking up practical tips and compositions and how someone approaches it and thinks about it. So it was just all completely self-learned, making my own mistakes, making up, you know, making up everything pretty much. But I think from, from making the portfolio, then I always did have in the back of my head as well that I could pitch them to different magazines. Like, I don't know if that was pretty stupid that I'd only just started photography and that was in my business plan that if some of these uh, shoots of these trades, you know, fit certain creative magazines, then I could do that. And then that would be, you know, a bit more reach and things like that. And I was lucky enough with, there was a magazine called Truve in America. Do you remember that? It was, it only had a few. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds familiar. Yeah. It was a beautiful magazine about creatives and they published quite a few of them. Um, and that was a good start, but the other way of getting clients was I, I did portfolio building shoots and I paired with a stylist who was about the same um, amount of experience as me. And we just put together little half day shoots or two day shoot, uh, sorry, two hour shoots, things like that. Um, a lot of it was product based, you know, like a little candle maker or I think my first shoot was a green press juice. So it was just, you know, saying that here I am, I don't really have any experience. So my rates are cheaper uh, so that, you know, they had lower expectations and I didn't, I didn't get myself in over my head, I guess. And then it just grew from there. And did you, yeah. And did you enjoy the process once you started taking photos or were you kind of so immersed in just getting the technical side things right that it you didn't have that state of flow yet? I think I've always liked the process because it's it suits the way I think and how I like to work in a sense that it's, you know, it's very methodological. You just book in your steps, you shoot, you edit, you deliver, the job's finished, you tick it off. Um, I mean, there's a few more steps than that now, but I think it just suited the way I like to work. So I've always been very process driven, very detail orientated. Um, and I really love the business side. So I never went into it as an outlet for creativity that I was aware of anyway. It was always about business and loving that side of it and building something successful. And it just, yeah, I still love that. I'll talk all day to anyone else about the business side of things or organizing people's files and processes and flows. So yeah, I love it. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I can see, I, I know where I'm going to go with my next question, then. <laughs> but, um, but I guess first though, I want to ask you, so with this five-year plan that you wrote out, like what was your, your kind of goal that you, where you wanted to be? Like, did you have an interest in a particular type of photography that you ultimately wanted to do? I know you've, you spoke about 
shooting portraits. You've spoken about shooting product. I mean, now you're really known for a lot of your interior work. Was that always something that you wanted to work towards? No, no, I don't think I had an idea when I first started. I did always even then have an interest with small businesses doing sustainable things and running their business in a sustainable way, but it wasn't as much of a focus back then. I think it's just as I've gone on in the last seven or eight years of doing it, it's just narrowed more and more. So I've kind of come full circle a bit back to what I studied and what I'm really passionate about. And I think, you know, I think it takes a while to get to that point. When you first start out, I said yes to everything. I said yes to working weekends. I said yes to shooting, you know, for only an hour if they wanted. It was just yes to everything. And then as you get more and more work, then I think it's a privilege that you've got enough work that you can start narrowing what you're doing, going back to what you're interested in and really niching down. And how long do you think that took you to get to that point? Um, well, I got, I got busy pretty quickly, actually. Um, probably within a year, I was very busy. And then, and then it's almost like saying, saying no has always been the hardest thing. So you're saying, you know, I start off doing three, five, seven shoots a week. It could be just crazy. And then it, I think over the years, then you just start to refine that and figure out how you like to work, get to that point. And so how do you like to work? I mean, what's your kind of ideal situation now in terms of the number of shoots you do and, and, you know, your process, can you share a little bit of an insight into that? Um, well, number of shoots I keep bringing back down. So I think maybe two years ago, I was probably on average doing three a week. Um, it could get more if, you know, you're away interstate and you would end up shooting seven days in a row. And that's just, that's too much. So a year ago, I said, I'll only like to do two shoots a week. And I made that happen. And then this year I brought it back down to one shoot a week. And so far until this week, I've been pretty successful in keeping it at one shoot a week. Uh, but I think it's just being, it's being a bit smarter as you go along about what you're doing as well. So by me refining what I'm doing and getting rid of certain types of jobs, it's also looking at the business side of things and, and, if you can earn more money by being smarter about the way that you're working, it frees up time that I can then do other things like pro bono jobs and things that I'm passionate about. Mm, okay. So now this, you sort of say that you're really passionate about working towards sustainable development goals and that you've become a, um, a purpose first beast corp certified photographer. I'm, how, you know, you've sort of spoken about, obviously, this has been a, a sort of thread, I guess, through through all of your work, you know, and all of the things that you have done, I guess, to this point. Why did you decide to go down that path? And, you know, why was it important to you? And and what has been the the outcome of that? I mean, have people gravitated towards that? Has it been that you've had to educate people about it? Can you share your experience about this whole process? Well. I think I only found out about B Corps 
a couple of years ago. Um, I didn't know what it was. I can't remember where I read about them, but it just resonated with me and my values in my personal life and my work life. And I kind of talked about doing it for a year or so. And I, you know, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But I was so busy shooting that I just never got started. Um, I mean, maybe for everyone, we should actually say what B Corp is because not, not many people know, but in a nutshell, a certified B Corp businesses that meet the highest standards of verified social and environmental performance, public transparency as well, um, and legal accountability. And it's about balancing purpose and profit. Um, so when you're, when you're going undergoing this certification, which is a lot of paperwork, very stringent, which is great because you have to prove everything that you've said you've done. You just measure your impact across five areas, which is uh, workers, customers, governance, environment, and community. So it's about a way of running your business. And when I got sick of talking about it and saying that I was going to do it, I'm like, no, I have to do it. So I decided at the beginning of last year, I would carve out some time. So it was a matter of saying I won't shoot the first week of each month for as long as it takes me and dedicating that time to sitting down and going through the assessment, in which case I also hired a B Corp consultant, which are available now just to kind of direct you through it. And the person that I had, Ali from Futures, she was amazing and really helped me figure out which questions I had to answer. It's a bit like a, you know, it's a rabbit warren. You answer one and then it takes you off into these other areas. So if you get the first question wrong, you might go too far down the path. So that's, that's how I approached it. And it took about, it took until April and then I submitted it, but I hadn't finished all the, the verification and, and paperwork and um, all of that. But there was such a big wait time that it was better to get it in. And then it, I probably finished it around June and then it sat there for about four or five months because there's been so much interest over COVID and the pandemic. I think a lot of people have been doing these assessments. So there's a big wait time at the moment. But it took me till November and then I was certified, which was great just to finally say that I'd done it and join this community. I mean, there's only um, 5,000 B Corps around the world, maybe about 500. Oh, really? Yeah. It's quite a big movement for how little businesses there are. Have you heard of many Like you're familiar with? Uh, yeah, definitely no. I mean, I know of Armadillo, the rug company, yeah. they're B Corp certified um, locally because I live in Byron Bay, the farm, they went through B mm. Corp certification. I don't know if it's something that you have to, do you have to review it every year? Every three years you have to review it. It's a points-based system, so you have to get a minimum of 80 points out of 200. Uh, and I mean, there's things like I don't have any workers, so you don't get any points in that area, but it's made up for it in other areas. But I always thought that being a one-person business that also offered a service, not a product, would be really quite hard to do. But I guess it wasn't different than any other business, just a much smaller scale. 
So it was great to do it and then inspire other small businesses that they can do the same thing, that you can still make change even if you're a really small person. Yeah, that's what I thought was amazing when I, I sort of heard that you had done this. Um, I mean, certainly I had never even considered that a photographer or a service-based business might do this. Do you know of many other photographers that have gone through this process? I don't think there are in Australia. I think there's a couple in America. But I think it's just, I mean, B Corp is also a platform that anyone can run through the assessment just to get an idea of where they might stand on it and give them ideas about how they can improve that business, their impact. Um, so it's very valuable just to run through the assessment yourself and then you can decide later if you actually want to go through and do the certification as well. But I just... And is there much... Sorry. No, go on. Going. Well, I was just curious. I mean, is there much of a financial commitment to do it? Uh, there's a certification fee that's based upon your revenue for so for a small business I feel like maybe it was about a thousand dollars to certify but that's so it's not prohibitive no no I don't think so and that's also I'm a member of one percent for the planet and it things like your B Corp certification are included in that as well which helps yeah and so I guess I'm curious about this transition from going from taking any job that you could and, you know, working like crazy to then um, being able to be more selective with the types of clients that you worked with. How did you navigate that transition? And, and it, yeah, maybe you can share a little bit about that to start off with. Well, I was going through the B Corp process was it was interesting because you have to write down about who your customers are so I was trying to define what a purpose-driven client was to me which I just realized it's just it's not black and white at all there's just so many shades of gray so at that time I was working in uh, so architecture and interiors food gardens uh, lifestyle, a bit of ethical fashion. So it was, I was not trying to restrict what I did as much. It was more the clients that I was working with. So then I was trying to define what a purpose-driven client meant to me under each of those umbrellas. It's just like, it's just so hard. You know, if you're talking about someone that makes a product, how far back do you go? Do you look at their supply chain and how they're treating their workers and things like that? And it was, was doing my head in a little bit. But I managed to write something about what I thought these clients were, went through the B Corp process, got certified, redid my website in that process to kind of step this out. And then once I was certified, I don't know, I kind of had this revelation and, and I was like, I need to just cut out some of the things that I do in order to focus on the things that really matter to me. And I and that's where it's the sustainable development goals came into it. I think just because they offer a, you know, a platform to measure things against. Because, you know, to define what a purpose-driven client means to you, you're almost looking at things like certifications or, you know, are they fair trade, et cetera, et cetera. So sustainable development goals gave me 
something to measure clients against. And then when I looked at sustainable architecture, they also measure up against a lot of the goals. So I just, just a, a matter of refining what I did and what I was really interested in doing um, and, where, and what I wanted to shoot in the future. So then that, that just meant that I had to redo my whole website again and, <laughs> and try and define that so that other people understood who I wanted to work with. And so what are sustainable development goals? Can you explain that? Well, the UN came out with 17 um, of them a few years ago. And it's, oh, now you're putting me on the spot. If you want me to talk about what they are. You didn't have to tell me like every <laughs> single one, but can you just sort of like, you know, kind of explain them a little bit, like what, what the kind of the essence of them is? Well, it was, they put together these interlinked, global goals and it was all about being a blueprint to achieve a better and more sustainable future for every everyone so it was set up in 2015 and they want to achieve them by 2030 so i can read a couple there's a few there's things like no poverty zero hunger good health and well-being quality education gender equality sustainable cities and communities and under each one of them they've got some guidelines. Yeah. So do you do you assess your clients against those goals? Is that what you mean? Well, it's more if the clients are working towards those goals. So it's, if people don't know what the SDGs are, then they're probably not my clients. So that was quite easy because, you know, some people were saying, do you have to explain it to them? And, and how do you know if they're working towards them? I'm like, well, the clients themselves, are very focused on them. So it makes it easy for me. If I talk that language and they understand it, then we can work together. Did you have some clients that, you know, obviously weren't aware of what SDGs were and you had to let them go and maybe you, you liked them as a client, but they weren't now fitting this profile that you were sort of seeking out. Was that hard? Yes. <laughs> Saying no has always been really hard for me. So. I mean, in a way, it it made it better to say no to new clients because it was very clear about who I wanted to work with. But existing clients is hard, especially when you've worked with them for a number of years. I have had to kind of break up with a few, but they, you know, they are very good and understood why I'm I'm heading where I'm heading. And if it doesn't fit to that, then it's okay. So I've been referring a lot of work elsewhere recently, <laughs> but. No, it is it is great because I think when you're working with like-minded people, it's just everything is so much easier. It's everyone's values-driven. You want to achieve the same goals. It's greater purpose than just profit. You're trying to make the world a bit of a better place and decrease your impact upon it. So obviously, though, when it comes to all of this, you know, you still have to you know, earn a living, you might have a mortgage to pay, bills to pay, whatever it is. Are there enough of these clients out there for you to still, you know, earn a living and, and kind of reach your financial goals, as it were? Definitely. There's, there's more and more people working in this space, I think, than ever before. Um, it's just a matter of, I went down a rabbit hole of generally Instagram and I'd find one 
sustainable architect or something like that and then look at who was following them or who they were following. And I made this big list, this big spreadsheet with my scientific mind, (laughs) the way I like to work. And I just started cold emailing a lot of people. And I started doing this uh, probably 18 months ago or so. So it was more about I had this set of clients and I wanted to shift to a different type of clients and how do I get from A to B. So it was just a slow process of connecting with these kind of clients and over time um, finding more and more. And there's, I mean, most of the work I'm doing now is in sustainable architecture. I would like to increase the amount of clients that I have that's working on the SDGs in a broader sense, non-profits and things like climate council or things like that. But at the moment, it's mostly sustainable architects. So, yeah, I think there's there's a lot out there. There's a lot of these houses being built. And if you work in that field, you just know more and more people that are doing good things in that space. So there's, yeah, it's narrowing, I think, actually, every time I narrow my focus with jobs or clients, I actually earn more that year than the previous year. So it's, I think it's just about being smarter about what you're doing, getting different streams of income, especially everything like things like COVID. I mean, I've made a print shop like every other photographer in COVID, <laughs> mostly due to my um, my good friend, Belle Hemming, who I work with a lot as a stylist. She just kept hassling me to do it so that she could put them up when she's designing houses and interiors. So I finally did that. But it just, I kind of stepped out at the end of the year, what are the different revenue streams you can also get from photography? And it's not just taking photos and having a client. And then just being a bit smarter about looking at those kind of things and how you can diversify. And so have you diversified in other ways other than doing the prints? Well, with architecture, it's a lot um, of publications as well and licensing. So I pitch, I'm probably a bit different to a lot of architectural photographers where I've always kind of managed the press and publication side of things. So that makes a difference in also educating clients about licensing and magazines and making sure that there's still a value attached to photos in this day and age where everybody's reposting things for free on Instagram and magazines will take images for free if they can. But if it comes from the photographer, there's always generally still a budget there. Um, I also do a little bit of mentoring on occasion. There's mentoring, licensing, publications, prints, shooting, things like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause it is, I mean, the whole, like you say, like this whole thing about images being used, you know, freely and loosely on, on Instagram. And I mean, it's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because sometimes obviously when people share your work, it's a way to, you know, people to find you and that can lead to opportunities, but then also obviously, you know, there's time and effort and energy and money and all of that that goes into creating images so it yeah i i see it both ways i mean i you know i have that with my own work and 
yeah, I think it's it's a bit of like the Wild West, West Instagram sometimes. How about how you show up on Instagram? I mean, that's how I sort of learned about um, your sort of your B Corp certification and how important has that been for you and your growth as a photographer? I have always had a lot of work come from Instagram, but at the same time, I also kind of hate it because it's just, to me, it, it's, it seems like another, I suppose it's another business um, chore that you've got to do. You do have to show up, but I really not good with writing, hate writing the copy, but with what I do, it's all about my client and educating people about my client or what they're doing good in the world. So I have to put a lot of time and energy into thinking about the copy. So it's always something that I try and get ahead of. And I'm like, in my, I have a marketing Monday day and I'm always like, write 12 Instagram posts for the following weeks. And I never do it. Like I just don't. And then it comes to like Tuesday night and I'm like, I haven't done an Instagram post. And then I'm, you know, fly by the seat of my pants. So it's not the best way of doing it. Um, but it is, it is a good platform to educate other people and inspire small businesses that they can also make these changes within that business. And it's not, it's not that hard. It's very achievable. So I think over the years it has changed and tried to find my voice a bit more now about what I'm passionate about. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> I try and stay off it yeah. a lot of the time and not compare myself to others as well. But I think there's so many, so many amazing photographers out there that if, if you start to compare, it's just, it can get a bit much. Comparison is a thief of joy. I think that's very true. So I've always just tried to kind of stay in my own lane, do my own thing and not, not worry about what other people are doing and comparing. I see it more now as a platform to hopefully inspire other people to do similar things with sustainability and small business, B Corp journeys, things like that, and about the good work that my clients are doing. I'm very passionate about trying to show with these sustainable homes that they can be beautiful, that you know they're high-performing, good to live in, and get it out to the general public a bit more. So by putting my clients in editorial magazines, I think they'll get more of an understanding about what these homes are and it's very different to what they probably were 30 years ago. Yeah, no, completely. I Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, in, in that way, that's, you know, how Instagram can be such a, a tool for good, as it were. Um, so now you say that you love process. So I'm going to pick your brain a little bit then about process and, and what strategies you use. And, and because I love all of this, I can geek out on all of this as well. So oh. let's have a bit of a geeking oh, session. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So there's two main things that I can really think of um, that I, yeah, I'm really interested in. And I think lots of people struggle with. One is, um, I'm curious, I mean, I don't know if you take photos on your phone at all. Do you use your phone at all for taking photos? Uh, not good one. Just for your Just, own pleasure or recce or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, terrible photos. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But do you have, I mean, how do you manage the photos on your phone? Like, do you get ever get them off your phone? Do you have a filing system? Like, or do you just leave that on there and you're just all about the photo, managing the photos on your camera? Oh, well, that's, yeah, my camera roll is a bit of a hot mess. 
so I'm my yeah my processes and how crazy I am about this kind of stuff doesn't apply to my phone funnily enough like my filing system for my um you know my raw files and project management is next level but not my camera roll okay all right so let's let's hear about your next level um your your project <laughs> your filing management for your your photos from your camera can you share how you do that um well it's just all i think people are always i don't know either envious if they're not good at admin or you know just astounded by i always know where things are like i was just working with a um ali heath sending her some she's a writer in the uk i work with a lot and i was sending her some images and things and she was just i think <laughs> she probably won't mind me saying that she was just like i need you to come over here and like sort out my whole computer and i'm sending her things and i'm like right here it is here it is here it is it's just it's all easy it's like i file things under a year you know so i've got like a 2022 and then i've got a commercial and a uh, personal folders and then it's just per client and then each one there's you know lightroom catalog is one folder raws are in another photos with high and low res proof sheets licensing recce so it's just i can find anything within i don't know 20 seconds if you say money find me this photo you did for this client in 2013 dropbox easy done yeah yeah and backup i have yeah my backup is very good i probably have five or six kind of copies at any one time so that's everything's with dropbox with me except raw files um and then i have there's a really good program called carbon copy cloner have you heard of that one and that just if you've got external hard drives that are used for backup as well i plug them in after each shoot or once a week instead of you having to remember what your new files are and copy them over you just set up a few rules and then it all you do is plug in your hard drive and it just says do you want to run it and it will scan both folders that you've set up and look for any differences and just copy over the new ones mm. so that is very okay it gets rid of any human error about copying and there's also one called backblaze which i've started using this year which just runs in the background and backs up anything on your computer so that only works if you're storing the files on your actual computer okay yeah um i've got to ask you about dropbox because personally i don't know what it is with me i just i, I don't find dropbox very intuitive and i really it drives me nuts so one is because it's always saying that I don't have enough storage and that's even if people are sending me stuff and like, yeah, so, I mean, I don't necessarily want to go and pay for storage for, for things that I don't even want to store. I don't know. I just, I don't find it very intuitive and in, in terms of the folders, like what, what works for you in terms of managing your Dropbox? Try and convert me because I'm really struggling with it. Well, you probably <laughs> do have to pay for storage. <laughs> That might be the first thing. I think I've got something, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, but it's just, I don't know. It just always seems to be, you know, and pe photographers share files with me and it's like, well, I'm not storing them. Like, I don't know. I just, but anyway, go. How do you use Dropbox? Well, do you have it set up so it's on your finder? So all of your documents are just stored in there. So it's like you're, it's, it's like you're not using it any differently. Just everything 
is on your hard drive as a, you know, instead of being in documents folder, it's just in a Dropbox and then documents folder. Does that make sense? The icon. Yeah. The yeah. Icon. So is it's, that what you're it's talking really about? no yeah. different to how you would store them on your computer anyway. It's just also in the cloud. So your file structure and everything yeah. is the same. It's just backed up. Oh, and do you, and do you do it by year in Dropbox as well? Yeah. Yep. So I don't have what any. What happens if you can't remember what year you did a shoot though? I feel like, well, and then it's by name. So then you've got client name. So you can go and have a look and it's generally pretty quick. Search. But yeah, I, I like to tell people that don't have things backed up. I'm like, I could throw my laptop in a river right now and I wouldn't lose anything. So everything is pretty okay. much <laughs> cloud-based. You know, I've got work through Gmail. I have a, I work with an amazing program called Notion. Have you heard of that one? Okay. No. It's, I've, it's probably you... very similar to other ones like Asana and I've, I've never, okay. I've never used them, but this one I've just developed. It's a free, I'm only using the free system and that's what I do all my client management on. So I have very comprehensive tables and things in there of all upcoming jobs, you know, waiting for publication, not yet scheduled, things like that. And then just a big brain dump of, of everything else. You can just make different pages that you can put anything on. Because I think I have such a terrible memory. Everything's done online. Like I have a to-do. I used to doist.com, which is just a to-do list. And Notion, Gmail, calendars, everything. My mind. My memory is so terrible. It all has to be documented online. How do you spell Notion? Is it like Ocean with an N in front? No, I just N. Or is it Notion? It's like O-T-I-O-N? Yep, correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's a good okay. one. Okay. We use Asana, but yeah, I'm just curious about that. I'll, I'll check that one out. And what about your process then for actually doing shoots? Like when you go into shooter space, um, can you kind of provide some insights into like, your your gear that you use and what's your plan of attack whenever you go into spaces? Well, I've recently made a decision which has made it easier for me where I now won't shoot architecture without a stylist. So that's a big one this year because I found I was always trying to convince clients that it was worth the expense. And I just got to a point where I'm like, I remember talking to a a good client of mine who's a builder and builds passive homes and he didn't really, he wasn't quite understanding. And I just, I'd seen an Instagram post of his about insulating a slab. I think it was and a new technique. I was like, if you had found this, you know, way that makes the end product better for your client, would you ever go back to not doing it? And then he was like, Oh, I get it. And I'm like, well, that's how it is with a stylist. You know, I know it can get much better photos. Um, much easier for me I can concentrate on doing the photography so that that's been a good one for the process so I always work with the stylist now um I use Sony gear now I converted from Canon about three years ago so I've just got Sony mirrorless cameras and lenses and I'm pretty minimal I think I don't I did buy a good light in lockdown but I don't ever really use it 
pretty much all natural light on a tripod. Got a good wireless system now that just cam ranger that then goes to an iPad. So you can actually walk around with the iPad in live mode and style as you go. So you can see where you're moving things. Have you ever used one of them for shoots? Um, no, I mean, sometimes photographers will have the camera set up so that it's, um, it's Heathering. tethered and it's yeah. live. Yeah. 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 Same, yeah. same thing. I just cut the cords out. I think it was originally, I was planning on going to Europe in 2020 and I just wanted to have a lighter system for traveling over there. And then I thought this is good. So I just got rid of all my old gear and now I've just got a very, you know, like an iPad mini this big and a little camera just so you don't trip over cords. But as for shooting, shooting a space and a process is I don't really have a system. That's probably, I mean, I look for light when I go in what the light's doing throughout the house in a day. I generally work backwards from sunset for exterior shots and I, I'm just a very bad morning person. I hate mornings. I don't like mornings. I don't know what the light really does in the mornings because I'm never up that early. So it's, I know a lot of people would be the other way around, but I've always just worked from sunset. I like that much better. But I just, I think I'd be very terrible at teaching people how to go and see a space because I don't, I don't know if it's something that you just have and it's very individual and everyone would see it differently. But I do find interiors a lot easier than exteriors that you can just walk in and kind of be like, there's a shot there, there's a shot there, there's a shot there. Whereas exteriors, I feel like there's just so many more options. So I end up just doing, you know, laps of a house in the right light, you know, shooting madly, whereas inside it's, I can just see a shot very easily. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Definitely. Um, I was, um, I was going to ask you as well then about, um, your mentoring. I'm very curious about that. So what kind of things come up when you're mentoring people, what kind of roadblocks do people have and, and how do you help them in that regard? A lot of the recent ones have been to do with licensing and pricing. So I think a lot of people run into issues when you don't have all the right documents set up from the very beginning. You know, if your contract isn't watertight or doesn't have enough information in it, and then clients don't understand licensing, that's always a bit of a battle to get them to understand it. So I've always just had it from, I don't really run into any issues now because it's at every touch point when you first talk to a client, you send your rate card, send a client services agreement. You just keep talking about licensing. So it's, you know, it's out there in the open. They start to understand it. And then it's usually not such an issue. Can you, can you just, ex can you just explain that for people who might not be aware of what the, the issue is with licensing and photography? Well, the biggest issue generally for photographers is clients thinking that they own the photos and can pass them on to anybody else free of charge. So it'd be like an architect paying for the shoot and then passing the images on to the interior designer and the builder. Whereas what they're actually doing is purchasing a license to use the photos. And the way I explain it is generally that or what my licensing is, is that they can use the photos to market 
their own business pretty much in any way. So as long as it's promoting themselves, then that's okay, but they just can't pass it out to other people that were also involved in the project. So that's, that's a big issue that a lot of people have. And that's why I said it kind of comes down to your contract and how you explain it, just making sure that the clients understand that what they can and can't do with photos. I mean, I think people compare it to things like a, you know, Netflix or Spotify, just because, you know, you're purchasing a subscription to that. It's not that Spotify can only give out one membership, you know, they're selling thousands and thousands of memberships and you're buying one license. It's kind of like that with photos that the photographer can still could sell some images to the person that's making the kitchen taps, for instance, and making money from that sale. So just because the client has bought or paid for the photos doesn't mean that they own exclusive rights to it unless you've given it to them. Do you set a time limit with your licensing agreements? Or does it depend on the clients? Generally not, but everyday kind of clients, mine's um, worldwide and in perpetuity just to make it easier. I know that some people put, you know, one year, three years on them, but I think I think that's for bigger clients, big commercial clients, that's different. But for other clients I have, I just keep it simple. Okay. And I just also would love you to share your experience of why stylists are important on a photo shoot. What I, I mean, I don't know what I do when I go on a photo shoot, but um, as a photographer, can you just share with people what a stylist does on a photo shoot and how they make your life easier and how you work with stylists? Well, suppose it's, especially with architecture, you're going into a homeowner's house who's doing a favor for the architect by letting them have the shoot. So they're not heavily invested into the shoot as much. And if that's, you know, just living your everyday family life, there could be a lot of clutter, uh, mess, you know, photo shoots are mostly about taking things out. So it's very minimal. So a stylist can declutter, clear a space and then kind of bring things back into it that, that work for the space. Um, Belle, who I work a lot with, and says she's like you don't even need me on this shoot you know that the house is amazing and then she works non-stop for eight hours getting things ready for me and, I, and I'm like there's so much still to do you know you work so hard to clear it and make it look beautiful and help so that just leaves me enough time to kind of think about framing and composition and the technical side of things without me you know, trying to clear away everything and swap doona covers and bring in flowers and because that's the other thing you know I, i'm pretty good at styling for a scene in terms of moving things around but i'm not bringing in different doonas and rugs and cushions and pillows and all the little things that can help as well so i think it's just very valuable it's, it's really a partnership i think to make the photos yeah no completely um and I think that when you work regularly with somebody, it becomes such a collaborative process. And I, I mean, I personally really enjoy that. So, um, yeah, I just I thought it was interesting to hear your perspective from a photography point of view um, about the value of styling. Yeah, so obviously that's something I'm passionate about. So, yeah. well, <laughs> all right, we'll just. Uh, 
sorry, continue. No, I was just going to say it makes it a lot more fun as well on the day. You know, you've got someone that you work well with and you kind of end up almost thinking in the same way. Like we often go in and you like push something a centimetre to the left and then Belle's like, I was about to do that. So it's, you know, once you work a lot with someone, you end up thinking the same way. Good. Yeah. You have a, a shortcut language as well. I work a lot with Chris Warns and, I mean, we've been working together for, I mean, I don't know how, like 15 plus years. And I mean, we can just say one word or like look a certain way and we both know exactly yep. what yeah, <laughs> the other thinking. person yeah. wants. And yeah, 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 yeah. Which is handy if you've got um, like homeowners hanging around or clients or <laughs> any of that sort of thing. So <laughs> Your own secret language. Um, yeah. All right. I'm going to go into some quick rapid fire questions just to get a little bit more of an insight into you and um, just share whatever comes to mind. Um, and yeah, I'm just looking forward to hearing your answers. So the first one is which five words best describe you? Mm, these ones are so hard, <laughs> but I think, I think I'd say in terms of a business sense, um, purpose-driven impact focused, collaborative, um, positive, I guess. I always see the positive in things rather than the negative. And I guess detail oriented, which comes back to the business side of things. And I always need to know why, which is probably pretty annoying for people. If people tell me to do something or explain something, if I know why, then I'm fine to do it. But if they're just like, you know, I need to know the steps, it must be the scientist in me. Yeah. No, I can see all of that. That all makes perfect <laughs> sense. <laughs> What's the best life or career lesson you've learned? Um, I think I, there's a few. One is done is better than perfect. You can procrastinate a lot because it's not right. And then it just, you know, months go by and you haven't got it done. So just get it done, get it out there and then perfect it afterwards. Um, don't be scared to say no as well, I think is a really good one. I mean, it took me years and years to get better at saying no, but I think it just narrows down what you want to do and frees up time to do other things. Because if you're saying yes to everything, you're also saying no to the opportunities of projects and things that haven't yet come to you because you don't have any time left. Um, I think a good one for photographers is don't show any work on your website or social media that you don't want to be hired to do because as soon as you do, you just keep getting hired more and more for that. So it's not to say you can't do that work, even if it's for, it might be for you doing it for the money, but just don't show it. Just show the work that you really want to be hired for and are passionate about. And I think just other other good career lessons are things about setting your own goals and making your own choices and pave your own way. Just don't worry about what other people are doing. Like I said before, I think that comparison is the thief of joy is such a big one. And that, that can be apparent on Instagram. If you're just scrolling all the time, comparing yourself to other photographers, it's no good. Just look at what you're doing, be confident in what you're doing, go to your own strengths. 100% with all of it. Um, what's your proudest career achievement? Achieving my B Corp certification. I think that's a big one for sure. 
that was accumulation of a lot of work last year. Um, and it just defines how I want to use business as a force for good now. So it's great to be part of that community. Um, and I think everyone else shouldn't be afraid of going through that process as well. It doesn't matter how little you are. Um, you can still, you can still achieve it, change your business. I had a very, I had a great interview with someone from Pro Bono Australia who was asking me about that very thing, being a small service-based business and what that meant to be a B Corp. And it just kind of turned it around by the end of the interview. She was talking about how she always thought it wasn't possible. And she'd even set up a website with these purpose-driven clients that she wanted to work with. And then I just got super excited about encouraging her to go for it. And, you know, by the end of it, she was like, you know, well, I can do this. I've always thought I couldn't, but I really can and, and work with the kind of people I want to and become part of that community. And that's what, that's what I'm very passionate about now. So I think definitely B Corp has been a great achievement last year. Yeah. Now this might be the same answer, but I will ask it anyway, because maybe it's something else. What's been your best decision? I think to start my own business and work for myself and yeah, to not be afraid of switching careers. I think that's a great one. Definitely. I couldn't go back to working in the corporate world anymore. Best decision. And to marry my husband. <laughs> that's nice. Who inspires you? I think whenever anyone asks me this, I never really have a specific name, but I think it's the type of person that I'm inspired by. Um, I'm very inspired by people that are running purpose-driven businesses and how they how they run that business. So I think anyone that's a B Corp is very inspirational to me. Um, I have just met, we haven't talked about it, but very inspirational man for a next kind of adventure that I'm kind of going down the path of at the moment, which is looking at buying land for conservation um, and building a passive off-grid passive house on it to really showcase for one sustainable houses and how they can still be beautiful and high performing. But the conservation side of it is really interesting because something we've been looking at doing, writing a will is something I've put off for like five years because I don't know what I want to do when you're gone to make a big impact. And we don't have kids, so it's not like we don't want to just leave everything to whatever. And I was looking for a higher purpose. So it came down to a thing of just thinking about what you could do and buying land for conservation purposes and leaving that behind. So we're looking at doing that now in our lifetime, things like setting up um, non-profits, learning about things like community trusts and lifelong tenancies and how you can still help people into home ownership but also conserve the land. It's very, it's very interesting. So it's a very inspiring person we've just met who's going to help us along on that journey. Wow, I so, love that. That's amazing. Yeah, I think it's the start of a long journey into that, but it's pretty exciting at the moment to meet him and see what, yeah. what he can teach us. Yeah, no, definitely. 
Um, another question which you might have already answered, but maybe you've got a slightly different perspective or spin on it. Uh, what are you passionate about? I think that, yeah, just reinforcing what we talked about before, that it's important to realise that even if you're a small business, you can still make an impact. And I think a good way to start that is that if every small business looked at who you banked with, where your super was held, and you certified as carbon neutral, I think that would go a really long way everybody did that and it's really not that hard so i think that's that's a change an easy change that people can make um so i'm just passionate about trying to inspire others to do things like that make those changes and i think that running your business in the way that you want to run it and in a way that's aligned with your values will also make a big difference to your satisfaction in your career and as well as your client satisfaction yeah, yeah. No, it's all working towards some kind of greater cause, isn't it? Yeah. Um, completely. What dream do you still want to fulfill? I think the ones I just talked about, about creating a conservation nonprofit as a kind of a lifelong work and also showcasing sustainable homes by building our own, showing that it can be beautiful, high-performing, net zero, things like that. So it's kind of a personal project that can also be used to educate others and inspire. So that's the next steps to get out of our leaky 1890s weatherboard house and build something that really kind of fits to, you know, all the things I'm shooting and I'm passionate about now. Do you think you'll document that journey or you haven't thought that through no, yet? I, I think I will, but in a way that I haven't, figured out yet because I'd like to use ourselves as a bit of a case study for the conservation journey and how you go about that and put it into kind of a step form that other people can follow because I've had a lot of people that once you start talking about these kind of things are very interested and say I'd love to hear more and once I understand what the steps are I think that comes back to how I think about things that if you just break them down into bite-sized chunks very easy to achieve so once I figured that out uh, might be something that I put together that's kind of a case study or you know, a model that other people can follow if they want Start certainly could be a course or a program yeah I just started thinking about it how it could rather than just be for you know my next steps and adventure and journey that it can also be something that you can help others realize understanding how you go about doing it so that's something to think about yeah no def definitely so what are you reading at the moment um i have a lot of half-read books on my kindle at the moment there's things like some passive house technical guides i just started reading um i have field guides about birds i've started being very interested in looking at birds but i just don't really I'm not very good at identifying them. Um, I did just read a book called Songbirds by Christy Lefteri, Derry, I think. Um, that was a great one. And then I've got things like business books. Some of Seth Godin's This Is Marketing. There's one, Arthur Brooks, From Strength to Strength. And there's one that somebody just recommended to me called Range, which is about how generalists triumph in a specialized world 
I'm keen to get stuck into that because mm. I've always thought I'm a, I've always been a generalist until now, maybe, where I'm just becoming more of a specialist by niching. Yeah, yeah. interesting. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. I love listening to Seth Seth Godin's books on Audible. I don't know if you've ever listened to his books, but I I have long car trips. I really enjoy him listening to him. (laughs) Yeah, I feel I should because I listen to a lot more podcasts than I probably read business books. So it'd be good to merge the two. Yeah. Um, Well, that was my next question. What are you listening to? So what are some of the podcasts that you enjoy listening to? I listen to a lot of business podcasts, kind of economics and money and science ones. Um, I did do a little uh, blog post on some of these. So I've got things like I always listen to Planet Money, NPR and The Indicator. Uh, There's one called The Journal. I mean, these ones are American. There's one that's called The Passive Income Project by some Aussie guys. And then there's ones like you would know One Wild Ride with Prue Chapman up your way. She interviews a lot of incredible humans doing great things in the purpose-driven space. Um, How I Work, have you heard of that one? That's Amanda... Hang on, I'm gonna to have to tell you now. Amanda, Amantha Imber, and she's in Melbourne, and she has okay. great podcasts about interviewing how people work and very process driven and productivity tips and efficiency. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think I know the one. Yeah, yep, yep. And then there's a couple of good climate ones as well. There's one called How to Save a Planet. That's you know, it's quite it's quite funny in a way and just very approachable that's by gimlet media that's a great one and there's another one called a positive climate which is also a great podcast so yeah it's a real mix okay no i'm gonna definitely check some of those ones out thank you um and finally what piece of advice would you give to your younger self i think about career and not worrying if it's not a linear career, you don't have to stay in the one job for your whole profession. And that's how I grew up thinking. But now I think that the skills you gain from one job or working in one area help you in another and career switching is okay. I think there'll be more and more of it happening. You see it a lot now. I think people leaving the corporate world and deciding to work for themselves or deciding to work less. So I think yeah it's it's not just one path do what makes you happy yeah no completely yeah completely well thank you so much Marnie I have really enjoyed learning more about your story about your purpose-driven work about your B Corp process and your processes so yeah I really appreciate your time thank you so much it's been lovely chatting thanks Natalie All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. 
Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint. Imprint.